or however it is that you receive our programs uh, via podcast, etc. Lots of stuff to talk about today. I'm going to be talking about the readings for the upcoming mass that we will unfortunately not be able to attend uh, in the extraordinary form. Going to be talking also about, uh, you know, some things that have been on my mind. For one thing, for actually for many years now, I have meditated uh, uh, off and on on the prophet Habakkuk and his very short little book, just three little chapters and very unique in the uh, prophets of Israel. He was the first of the prophets to ever actually challenge God and uh, and demand to know what he was up to. And the answer was surprising. And I think it actually ties in uh, rather neatly with what's going on in the world today in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, not just the the effects of the disease itself, but the effects of our response to it. And so I think that the there's there's uh, some really important lessons to be learned. Also going to be talking a little bit um, about the Pope's uh, Ubi et Orbi blessing this morning and what makes that unique uh, among blessings and historically unique, this particular one, and the plenary indulgence that is attached to it. We were talking uh, in the last few weeks about uh, purgatory and how to avoid it. And one of those ways, of course, one of the best ways is <clears throat> through uh, having, you know, having had your sins forgiven, you avoid purgatory, which is where you go to pave the temporal punishment due for your sins by the use of indulgences, which remit that temporal punishment, either some or all of it. And the Pope has actually attached a plenary indulgence. And, but for those who, who miss the blessing or you know don't have the, a way to access it, um, I thought it would be interesting to talk about a couple of the ways that you can gain a plenary indulgence using just common prayers and in our present circumstances. So all of that Coming up, in the meantime, uh, going to be talking about the readings for this coming Sunday in the extraordinary form of the Mass. It's called Passion Sunday. And this is a time when uh, certainly traditional churches, traditional chapels throughout the history of the church, and in those parishes that still follow these traditions, and they are many and growing, uh, and that is um, the, the church gives herself up really from this point forward to meditating on the Passion of Christ. Christ. And on Passion Sunday is when you cover the crucifixes. You cover the, the statues of the saints and so forth with, uh, with purple cloths. And to remember that from this time <clears throat> until the entrance into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which comes next week, Jesus walked no more openly amongst the Jews. Right? From today, the, the glory be to the Father, which is a, a, a prayer that's often heard in the, in the Old Mass, is remit, uh, omitted. No more glory be for this, uh, you know, until Easter time comes, because the purpose, uh, or the person rather of Jesus Christ and the most holy Trinity was so gravely dishonored during the time of our Lord's uh, passion and those days leading up to it. And it was on this day that the, that the high priest held, held counsel about our Lord, the church says, uh, at the introit of the mass in the name of the suffering Jesus, the words of the psalmist, which are judge me, O God, and distinguish my cause from the nation that is not holy. Deliver me from the unjust and deceitful man for thou art god my strength send forth thy light and thy truth they have conducted me and brought me unto thy holy hill and unto thy tabernacles so this is the this is the time you know historically that we are um remembering liturgically that uh, the conspiracy against our lord um became an, an official and, and the wheels were, were put in motion for his passion and death <clears throat> in the collect 
Passion Sunday, it says, We beseech the Almighty God, mercifully look upon thy family, that by thy bounty it may be governed in body, and by their preservation be kept in mind through Jesus Christ our Lord, etc. This is, uh, I think, an important prayer, always at this time of year, but particularly in, in our uh, current circumstances. Mercifully look upon thy family, that by thy bounty it may be governed in body, and by thy preservation kept in mind. <coughs> Pardon me, we're asking our Lord to remember us, to preserve us, to help us to to govern ourselves. And, and that kind of self-control, that, that calling out to God through prayer, because we're currently, uh, you know, they, they're not able to to uh, access the sacrament. Extremely, extremely important in this time. Hard to to keep Lent in the first place, but all the more so when there's so much going on. Uh, I think that, again, the timing on this is, um, if there were such a thing as a coincidence, it would be highly coincidental that all of this should be happening during Lent. <laughs> I beg your pardon for coughing. I'm uh, doing this via Skype, and I don't have my cough button like I do in the studio, so I apologize. Uh, all right, on to the epistle for this coming Sunday in the extraordinary form. It's taken from uh, Paul's letter to the Hebrews. Brethren, Christ being come and high priest of the good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, neither by the blood of goats nor of calves, but by his own blood entered once into the holies, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and of oxen and of the ashes of an hand after being sprinkled, sanctify such as are defiled to the cleansing of the flesh. How much more shall be the blood of Christ, who by the Holy Ghost offered himself unspotted unto God, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And therefore he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of his death for the redemption of those transgressions which were under the former testament, they that are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance in Christ Jesus our Lord. So St. Paul here is, is teaching that Jesus Christ has given full satisfaction for the sins of men. You know, he's re redeemed us all. He's opened to all of us entrance into the sanctuary. You know, once upon a time, no one could go into the, into the holies except for the, the priests and the high priests. And now it said, you know, because we're going to be aptly, he's opening the gates of heaven. We're going to be able to go into the very presence of God. So the church proposes the this epistle to us in order that we can thank God for the great mercy of the redemption, to love and praise him and be encouraged to share in his sufferings by fasting and prayer and penitential works. And by, uh, apparently by my fax machine going off, <laughs> turned off the phones, but I didn't do the fax machine. Well, uh, remember that for next time, or hopefully we get back into the studio soon. Uh, all right. So we're asking God to give us his grace. We're asking Jesus uh, that by true sorrow for our sins, by practicing good works, by giving all, by doing all the things that we are meant to do during this time of year, that we can become, uh, you know, partakers, that we can have a part in his sufferings thereby and obtain these, this promised inheritance of eternal life. All right. And now uh, the Holy Gospel, uh, continuation of the Holy Gospel according to John. John chapter 8, at that time, Jesus said to the multitude of the Jews, which of you shall convince me of sin? 
If I say the truth to you, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth the words of God. Therefore you hear them not, because you are not of God. The Jews therefore answered and said to him, Do we uh, do not we say well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and you have dishonored me. But I seek not my own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Amen, amen, I say to you, if any man keep my word, he shall not see death forever. The Jews therefore said, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. Are dead. Whom dost thou make thyself? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father that glorifieth me, of whom you say that he is your God. And you have not known him, but I know him. And if I shall say that I know him not, I shall be like you, a liar. But I do know him, and do keep his word. Abraham, your father, rejoiced that he might see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, before Abraham was made, I am. They took up stones, therefore, to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So much, thus far the words of the Holy Gospel, so much in this short episode uh, between our Lord and his detractors. They call him the Son of God, uh, a Samaritan. They say that he's possessed. You know, he says that, that uh, he's seen Abraham, and they say, how can you, how, you, that Abraham rejoices in my day. They say, how can you have seen Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. And there's an insult in that not yet 50 years old, because in, in the ancient time, you couldn't be a rabbi, I mean, uh, a, a proper rabbi that led a synagogue until you were 50 years old, and Jesus is only 33. And so it's, it's a dig at his, at his age and inexperience. So, you know, you're not even old enough to be a rabbi. Now you're claiming to have, have seen Abraham, who lived centuries ago. And what does he say? Amen, I say to you, before Abraham was made, I am. The Jews never said, I am. That's, that's Jehovah. That's Yahweh. I am who am. That's the name of God. To say this, it, it was a blasphemy. To apply it to yourself is to claim to be God. And that's what we're going to talk about when we come back. That's why the Jews react the way they do. They took up stones to cast at him because he dared to call himself God. Okay. All of that and lots more. We come back right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Talking about the epistle and gospel for the upcoming uh, Passion Sunday, the extraordinary form of the Holy Mass, and how the, uh, the the multitude of the Jews, you know, have kind of turned against him. He says, which of you shall convince me 
of sin. That is to say, uh, uh, you know, accuse me, convict me. Which one of you can credibly say that I've ever sinned? And so if I tell you the truth, why don't you believe me? And he says, he that is of God heareth the words of God. And so he's pointing out uh, uh, the cause of unbelief. He that is of God hears and loves that which is godlike. So when we uh, gladly listen to the word of God, when we strive to put into practice what we've heard, we're testifying, we're showing, we're witnessing to the world that we are the children of God. But, you know, instead of reflecting on what Jesus had to say, the Jews just started pouring out their, their offense, their offended pride. They, they start heaping abuse on him. They call him a Samaritan, which, as you know, the, the, the Jews and the Samaritans were, were long-time enemies. They called him uh, one having a devil. You know, and the same thing happens today. Instead of listening to the truth, uh, uh, the proud, the worldly, they answer with, with calumny. They answer with contempt. The scripture says our Savior hid himself from the Jews. Right? They, they picked up stones to stone him because he dared to claim to be God. <laughs> they, they accused him of blaspheming. You know, they accused the Son of God of blaspheming the name of God. You know, which just shows you how, you know, deep in their, in their uh, uh, pride and so forth that they were, were steeped. And it says that, that he hid himself from the Jews. And, and that's a lesson there again for us to forgive. To forgive our enemies rather than to oppose them or take revenge on them. And it's interesting. I, uh, I recall back in 2012, there was uh, an event that they called the Reason Rally. And I've talked about this before, but it really struck me. Because 20,000 atheists and agnostics gathered on the Washington Mall to celebrate the fact that, that they don't believe in anything, apparently. <clears throat> and there were a number of celebrities, and there were uh, speeches and events. And the keynote speaker was Richard Dawkins, kind of the self-proclaimed high priest of atheism. And what he said to the crowd was really interesting to me, because he said that the, the uh, claims of religion need to be answered intelligently. <laughs> no, no, he didn't say that. He said the claims of religion need to be ridiculed with contempt. He turned on Catholics particularly. He turned on the, the doctrine of the real presence particularly. You know, if they're Catholics, he says, he says you have to challenge them. You have to say, do you really believe that when a priest consecrates that, that wafer, it becomes the body of Christ? Do you believe that you're really drinking the blood of Christ? Do you really believe that? Are you telling me that? And if the Catholics should have the fortitude to say, yes, that's what I believe, he says, and I quote, mock them, ridicule them, in public. Now, you would think of something called the Reason Rally, that, uh, that a man who styles himself an atheist and an intellectual would have offered some kind of good, rational reason to reject religion. And instead, he stood up in front of this rabble and whipped them into a frenzy by saying, you know, blindly heap opprobrium on that which you do not understand. And that's my paraphrase, but that's essentially what he's saying. Ridicule, mockery. And, you know, this is still the great enemy of, of Christianity, the great enemy of Catholicism, the great enemy of, of all those who would follow Christ. 
but we need to be consoled when the world insults us. Because I can ask you this, what insult can someone give to you that Jesus didn't already suffer? Well, they called him a glutton and a drunkard and a heretic and a political revolutionary and, and, and a fraud and, and a, a sinner and a friend of sinners. And, and they even said he was possessed, that he had a devil and, and that, that he, his exorcisms were, were performed by, by the prince of the devils. He cast out devils with the help of Beelzebub. Now that was in Matthew 9:34. So in Matthew 10:25, he tells the, the, the disciples, if they have called the good man of the house of Beelzebub, how much more them of his household? In other words, if they say these things about me, <laughs> you know, if they claim that I'm in league with the devil, who have never done anything wrong, who have never committed a sin, you know, against whom they cannot say anything truthfully, what are they going to do to you? And what indeed, you know, and there isn't any sorrow so bitter, no insult so terrible that he hasn't borne it. And what was more painful? What could, what could be more terrible, more grievous than his, his death on the cross? Think about the passion of Christ. We have a whole liturgical season to help us particularly to do that, to, to think about his sufferings. And if we have time, we're going we're gonna to continue our, our meditation on, on the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary, because that's what, what, what Lent is for. Uh, you know, and, and that's what uh, St. Paul tells us in, in the book of Hebrews. Think diligently on him that endured such opposition from sinners against himself so that you be not wearied, fainting in your minds at contempt and insult. Now, this is something, you know, uh, that I think about uh, a great deal and meditate on these issues. And one thing that I have returned to often in, in the last, I don't know, probably 10 years is the prophet Habakkuk. Now, he has written, he wrote a very small little book. He's one of the minor prophets. His, 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 the book of Habakkuk is only three chapters long. But he was really, I think, the, the first amongst the prophets of the Old Testament to really challenge God. To really, you know, to try and kind of call God to account for the way things that were going. And, and this is the time just before the fall of Judah, or just before the Babylonian, uh, Babylonian captivity. Okay, things are not going well. And Habakkuk, in chapter 1, and this is verse uh, 2 through 4, he, he calls out, he says, How long, O Lord, shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Shall I cry out to thee suffering violence and thou wilt not save? Why hast thou shown me iniquity and grievance to see rapine and just, injustice before me? And there is a judgment, but opposition is more powerful. Therefore the law is torn in pieces, and judgment cometh not to the end. And because the wicked prevaileth against the just, therefore wrong judgment goeth forth. The kingdom has been has is compromised with the world. The politicians are, the, are corrupt, the clergy are impious, the people are unfaithful, the idolaters and the enemies of God are prevailing, and God's allowing it to happen. Does this sound familiar to you? <laughs> okay. How many times have I heard in the last quarter? century that nothing short of divine intervention is going to restore the church. 
But here's the question. What, what would such intervention look like? When, when it comes, will we be able to recognize it for what it is? Now, some folks, uh, you know, and I, again, this is something I've seen again and again. They seem to think, well, this is finally it. This is the end. Jesus is coming. That's that. And there are other folks who are, are just as convinced that our, our lady is going to show up and wave a magic wand and make it the 50s again. Okay, well, maybe. But, but consider God's response to Habakkuk. And this is my paraphrase. He says, I'm going to allow the Chaldeans to overrun Judah. The king will be overthrown. The temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed. Uh, the people will be taken and changed to Babylon as slaves. So no more corrupt politicians, no more impious priests, no more unfaithful uh, Jews. No problem. Now, of course, to Habakkuk, it sounds like the cure is worse than the disease. You know, he, he's already pointed out that the Chaldeans are by far worse than the Jews. Why should God let them conquer Judah? But God tells them not to worry. They're going to get their comeuppance because they are idolaters and worship their own strength and their own wickedness. But when the dust settles, everything will be all right, even if it seems hard to believe in the present circumstances. Chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, God tells Habakkuk, For as yet the vision is far off, but it shall appear at the end and shall not lie. If it make any delay, wait for it. For where it shall surely come, and it shall not be slack. Now remember, the Babylonian captivity lasted 500 years. Behold, he that is unbelieving, his soul shall not be right in himself, but the just shall live in his faith. And at the end of chapter 2, God says, verse 20, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Okay, all this stuff is going to happen, and you really don't have anything to say about it. And the light goes on for Habakkuk, the penny drops. And he concludes his book, chapter 3, is this triumphant hymn of praise for the greatness and goodness of God and, and the importance of faith. Okay, now back to our day. For some years now, um, lay people and priests, even bishops, and this is, includes people that I know personally, people that I um, have followed for years, people I respect have been openly critical of the current pontificate and the hierarchy of the church. Some, even to the point uh, of public de publicly debating uh, hypothetical ways to remove a sitting pope, you know, which seems, I mean, it's highly unlikely if you've ever heard what my opinion on the set of a cantism. But even if it were hypothetically possible, uh, you know, given that the only men with the hypothetical authority to remove the pope are the very ones who elected him in the first place, you know, chances are uh, this is not you know, coming. <clears throat> and what we need to be doing, of course, is to be praying for them. And, and now we have this COVID-19 virus, this pandemic around the whole world. Now, given some of the, shall we say, surprising actions of Pope Francis um, and, and the very strident criticism of those actions, who would have thought, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, who would have thought that he would receive respond to this pandemic with a ceremony in the Vatican, with scripture readings, adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, and, and blessing the world with the Holy Eucharist, with the monstrance, and ubi et orbi blessing, we'll talk about what that is in a bit, um, for the whole world, 
And if that's not surprising enough, that he would bring a miraculous crucifix into St. Peter's Square that was uh, um, associated with saving Italy or Rome, I should say, from the plague back in the day, um, that he would bring that into St. Peter's for the occasion and that he would attach a, a plenary indulgence to the blessing under the usual conditions, which, by the way, have been amended due to the crisis so that people can gain a plenary indulgence in these in these uh, remarkable circumstances. I think the Pope is surprised, has surprised a lot of folks with what seems like an awfully traditional response. And would have we, would have we have seen that without this pandemic, without these circumstances? Got more to say about this when we come back. Also going to be talking about the, uh, more about the Ubi and Orbi blessing and indulgences and ways to gain them and, and more when we come back with uh, lots more on Bridge Most Powerful Radio. Are talking about the book of Habakkuk and, and the surprising way that uh, God has dealt with uh, infidelity on the part of the church and the faithful <clears throat> ever since the days of the Old Testament. <clears throat> and I talked about how with this COVID-19 virus, some surprising things have happened. I think uh, and one thing which is, you know, a surprise but a very welcome one is the, the you know, kind of very traditional way that the Pope decided to respond by, you know, with Eucharistic adoration and reading from the scripture and and blessing um, the church Ubi et Orbi, which means the city and the world, uh, you know, it, it, and, and attaching to that blessing a, a uh, plenary indulgence. I think, you know, it's, it's surprising. It's not something, you know, when we were uh, all, the, the big news was the Amazonian Synod. That didn't look like it was in the works, you know. And, and I'm a traditional Catholic. And I've explained many times that it doesn't mean that, you know, a traditional Catholic isn't just somebody that only goes to the, to the traditional Latin Mass. When I say traditional Catholic, I'm talking about someone who can say the act of faith and mean it, who can say, I believe all the truths that the Catholic Church believes and teaches because God has revealed them. God who can neither deceive nor be deceived. Now, for years though, I have been railing about liturgical issues, liturgical abuse especially. And, and not, you know, I don't have a problem with uh, uh, the Novus Ordo necessarily, but uh, but it, it's so often this, the celebration of it is is uh, lacking, okay, not up to uh, the standard even set by the new general instruction of the Roman Missal. And so for years I've been saying, you know, we need to get all the lay people out of the sanctuary, you know, we need to we need to stop relying on the extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, which is a complete novelty in the history of the church. You know, uh, oh my gosh, people in the congregation need to stop imitating the priest. Okay, you know, he he holds his hands in the orange position to say, the, "The Lord be with you," and everybody they hold their hands up back, and with your spirit. Okay, that, that's that's a posture that is for the priest, not for lay people, and most certainly we don't hold our hands in the orange position or hold old hands during the recitation of the Our Father, etc. And don't get me started on sacrilegious communions. You know, Pope St. Pius X back in 1905, on my birthday, uh, 20th of December, although I wasn't born yet, 20th December 1905, put out a document where he encouraged frequent 
even daily communion. And he put out the, the uh, things that he thought were, were necessary for, for this to be effective. Let's see, I've got it here. He says, um, uh, la, 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 la. A right intention consists in this, that he who approaches the holy table should do so not out of routine or vainglory or human respect, but for the purpose of pleasing God and being more united, uh, more closely united with him by charity, seeking the divine remedy for his weaknesses and defects. Uh, although it is most expedient that those who communicate frequently or daily should be free from venial sins, especially as they're fully deliberate, and from any affection thereto, Nevertheless, it's sufficient that they be free from mortal sin with the purpose of never sinning in the future. And that being a daily communicant, he goes on to say, should gradually emancipate themselves even from venial sins, even from affection to venial sins. Which, by the way, is one of the conditions for receiving a plenary indulgence. It's not to be attached to any venial sin. And people were telling him, that's a grand gesture, Holy Father, but you know, uh, it is an axiom of human nature that familiarity breeds contempt. And if you start doing this, you're going to find that people don't believe more in the real presence. They will abandon belief in the real presence. And again, you know, I think we've seen what we've seen. And I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that I know better than Pope Pius X or, or that people shouldn't communicate frequently, only that people must understand what the Eucharist is, which was kind of the whole point. But the simple fact of the matter is millions of Catholics Catholics always go to communion when they go to Mass, but rarely if ever go to confession. You know, just the fact that they don't go to, to church every Sunday is enough that, to keep them <laughs> from communion without confession if they, if they knew their faith. There are millions who literally eat and drink condemnation upon themselves because they receive communion without discerning the body of Christ, because they simply don't believe in the doctrine of the real presence. And after years, decades of, of working in evangelization and apologetics and catechesis, I got to wonder, how are we ever going to correct the situation? And suddenly I don't have to worry about any of that now, do I? I? See, it never would have occurred to me that God would allow the sacrifice of the mass to continue, but only behind locked doors, with the faithful to be kept out uh, uh, of holy mass. How long, oh Lord, how long are you going to let this go on? Well... Not an issue now, is it? You know, for years I pointed out how, how the Novus Ordo, uh, general instruction for the Roman Missal of the Novus Ordo, says that Christ is present in the Holy Mass in four distinct ways. In, in the Blessed Sacrament, of course, in the Holy Eucharist. Uh, in the person of the priest, you know, who's, who's celebrating in the person of Christ, in persona Christi. In the word, when it is proclaimed, right? Not, not just the, the ink on the page, but when that word is spoken out loud, it becomes a living word. And Christ is present there. And finally, in the congregation, and they have the, the uh, stipulation when they pray or sing. So during active participation. See, Sacrosanctum Concilium, which was kind of the, the, the crowning achievement of the liturgical movement of 100 years, uh, you know, mandated the reform of the liturgy. And while most of the stuff that happened in the was absolutely not called for by Sacrosanctum Concilium. The one thing that it mandates, for sure, is that active participation of the faithful is the point to be considered before all else in the new Mass. You know, but the fact of the matter is, of those four ways that Christ is present, sacrament, 
priest, word, and congregation, there's only one of them that's not essential. And we're being forcefully reminded during this crisis that the sacrifice of the Mass continues precisely without lay participation. See, it might be understandable for Habakkuk to cry out to God, how long, O Lord? But we Christians, you know, we've seen what divine intervention looks like. We've seen how the multitude who welcomed Jesus to Jerusalem with cries of Hosanna to the son of David on Palm Sunday are the same people that were crying out, crucify him on Good Friday. How after his, you know, his triumphant entry and a week of preaching in the temple, uh, uh, how in less than 24 hours, at the end of that week, he was arrested, tortured, tried, convicted, and summarily executed. This is the divine. This is divine intervention in the world. It's certainly not what they were expecting, you know. And, and where were his followers at this time, by the way? They were hiding, right? After processing into Jerusalem, all filled with the promise that they were going to judge the twelve tribes of Israel, um, one apostle betrays Jesus uh, and then commits suicide. The prince of the apostles denies him three times, and all the ones that are left are, are just hiding. Because if they could do this to Jesus, you know, what would they do to them? Only a handful, a merest handful of his followers were at Calvary. The Blessed Virgin Mary, St. John the Apostle and St. Mary Magdalene, a couple of others, holy women. And that's the way we think of them. And when we picture them, we picture religious art and statues. But, but who was there? If you had been there and you'd seen them, you'd say, oh, it's his mom and the teacher's pet and his friend, the prostitute and a couple of old women. That was the remnant church at Calvary. See, if God can bring good out of that, and, and not, not just good, but the greatest good, the redemption of the entire human race, then he can certainly bring good out of this current pandemic. What did God say to Habakkuk? Behold, he that is unbelieving, his soul shall not be right in himself, but the just shall live in his faith. You know, we're, we're Catholic Christians. We don't believe in salvation by faith alone, but faith is something that's very requisite right now because we, the, the, like I said, the sacrifice continues. This isn't the end of the world. The sacrifice of the Mass hasn't stopped. But we have been robbed of our consolation. We, we don't get to go to the Mass. We can't fulfill our obligation to worship God. And it's, and it's wonderful that we've been dispensed for that, from that obligation for the time being. But now we see that our consolation has to be in prayer, has to be in you know, the, the, the private recitation of the, of the office, reading the Scripture, and, and most especially praying the Holy Rosary. Something else I've been talking about quite a lot in recent years, and of course, completely ignorant that any of this was going to happen, but that when Our Lady has come in her approved apparitions and spoken to the faithful, and then that, that message has been communicated to us with the, with the blessing of the church, she always, there's one thing she always says, pray the rosary, pray the rosary every day, pray the rosary. And I ask myself, why? Why the rosary? Why not go to mass? Why not go to confession? Every month. Why didn't she say go to Mass every day? Receive communion frequently. That's not even, you know, it's not in the, in the mix. 
And the reason is that the rosary is ours. It is our consolation. She said, uh, under the title, Our Lady of Good Success, that in these our days, that devotion to her would be a great consolation. Because she is queen of heaven under many invocations, and we can grow closer to Christ through the recitation of the Holy Rosary without priests, bishops, permission, raising money, convincing anybody on the parish committee, you know, none of that. All you need is your faith and the prayers. Now, I'm going to maybe, if we have time, talk a a little bit more about that, uh, about the rosary. But we've been talking in the last weeks about purgatory and ways to avoid purgatory. Purgatory, of course, being the, the, the state into which the soul enters after death when you die in a state of grace, but still with uh, unforgiven venial sins or with temporal punishment due for the sins that you've already committed. And one of the best ways to remit that temporal punishment is through indulgences, partial or plenary. And the Pope has given us a special plenary indulgence, but there's other ones, common ones, that you can gain. And we'll talk about that when we come back with more Happy Hour right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome back. Final round on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. By the way, uh, I, I'm not going to be spending quite so much time on the traditional liturgy and those uh, points. I think this pandemic actually it was already coming, but it, it's uh, it's uh, gained impetus because I think that we've seen some pretty amazing things. And uh, and uh, there are, I think, emphases in the apostolate right now that are more important than the minutia of you know uh, the liturgy and that sort of thing i think there are is we we really have a time when a return to basic catechesis and common devotion and prayer that well trodden path to salvation is something that really needs to be emphasized but we were talking about uh purgatory these last weeks i mentioned before the break that one of the great ways to remit our time in purgatory is through indulgences indulgences which remit the temporal punishment due to sin. We actually talked about this last week. I'm bringing it up again because uh, the, the indulgence is either partial or plenary. It remits either some or all of the temporal punishment due for our sins and therefore mitigates your time uh, of um, cleansing and purgatory. Now, the Pope did his Ubi et Orbi blessing today, and it's interesting. There, there's a number of interesting things um, that are associated with that because the Ubi et Orbi blessing is something that only the Pope can do. And, you know, Ubi, Urbi, I should say, Urbi et Orbi translates from the Latin as to the city and to the world. So this is a, a papal blessing. It's, it's a, an act. No other bishop can perform the Urbi et Orbi blessing, only the Pope. Now, and in contrast to the Mass, it uh, can take place effectively through the media for the good of souls and of the faithful. You know, the Vatican determined decades ago that those who receive the Pope's Urbi et Orbi blessing through a live broadcast are eligible to receive the blessing is just the same as if they had been present at St. Peter's Square. And, and normally the Pope only does this when 
he's elected the successor of Peter and at Christmas time and Easter. So I think that this is actually unprecedented. I think this is the first time in history that an, an Urbi and Orbi blessing has been given by a pope, you know, all alone in St. Peter's Square, uh, followed by uh, Catholics and others all around the world through the media. It is a unique historical event. Uh, and this morning it was on, not only, I mean, they had it on uh, being streamed on uh, CatholicTV.org, but also I saw it on Channel 4 News, you know, at least on their on their website. I was looking for it and clicked on it and, and thought that I was on Catholic TV, and I was actually on Channel 4. And the reason I, the way I found that out is that they, they went over to congressional hearings that were also live right after, you know, they cut from St. Peter's to to uh, Washington, D.C., and I'm going, well, this can't be the Catholic TV program. Anyway, the point is that uh, this this blessing grants remission for the temporal punishment due to sins already forgiven. So there's it confers an indulgence and a plenary indulgence under the conditions uh, of canon law. Now, to gain a plenary indulgence, you have to do, you know, whatever it is, say the prayer, receive the blessing, you know, make the pilgrimage, whatever indulgence to act. And you have to do it with the intent of receiving the indulgence. And, but for it to be plenary, right, to remit all of the punishment due for sin, you have to be completely detached from sin, even venial sin. And, and you have to make sacri- sacramental confession and receive the Holy Eucharist, and both of those within a prescribed time before or after the act itself, and you make a, a pray for the intentions of the Pope. Now, during these times of lockdown and quarantine, something else unprecedented has happened. The Vatican has determined that the second and third of those conditions, right, uh, confession and communion, can be deferred. They can be fulfilled when it again becomes possible. So you don't have to, you can gain a plenary indulgence without having to um, receive communion and, and absolution within that you know, prescribed certain amount of days. I think it's like 20 days now before or after after that uh, now they're just going to say, no, you can, you can fulfill that part of the obligation whenever it presents itself because of these, you know, this unprecedented circumstance that's we're in. And I think that that's, that's wonderful. I think it's, it's terrific. The Pope is, is offering that to the faithful, but what about people? Miss? What about people who don't have a TV, don't have EWTN, didn't hear about it? Um, well, the fact of the matter is first off that lots of prayers carry a partial indulgence. You can make an act of faith, an act of hope, an act of charity, you make the act of contrition, <clears throat> your morning offering, spiritual communion, all of those things have a partial indulgence. So you are remitting some of the temporal punishment due for your sin, or you can apply that to souls in purgatory, particular souls in purgatory, or the souls in purgatory generally, or you can pray that, that God would give it to the person that nobody's praying for, or the soul in purgatory that's the closest to getting into heaven, whatever, you can apply it to a soul particularly or, or uh, generically in purgatory or to yourself. So there, there are many opportunities uh, each day to gain a partial intelligence. But some of the um, common prayers that, that we say that we participate in all the time also carry a, the possibility of a plenary indulgence. The rosary, for example. The rosary, when you pray the rosary, that's a partial indulgence. But did you know you can gain a plenary indulgence for praying the rosary in public? Now, how does that help me? 
right now. You know, I'm not supposed to leave my house in the midst of all of this. Well, and you know, the, the, the church is locked up. Well, public recitation of the rosary, according to the apostolic penitentiary, praying with your family fulfills that uh, obligation, or fulfills that, that stipulation, if you will. So you can, you can gain a plenary indulgence daily by praying the rosary with your family. All right, and what about reading the Bible? Uh, Terry and Jesse, this, this program, Dr. Ed, um, Gary Machuda, everybody here at Virgin Most Powerful, Jesse Romero, we always you know, uh, tell people, hey, you need to read the scriptures. You need to read your Bible every day. You can read the liturgical readings. You can re- uh, pray the divine office, right? Liturgy of the Hours. There's lots of ways you can just pick up your Bible and, and read any part of it you feel like or do you know, a more formal Bible study. But what's interesting, what you may not know, is that reading the Bible, uh, reading the scripture with the veneration due to God's word and as a form of spiritual reading, carries with it a partial indulgence. But if, if that reading is continued for at least a half hour, then you can gain a plenary indulgence. Did you know that? Did you know you can get a plenary indulgence just by picking up your Bible? And making the intention and, you know, fulfilling the other obligations when you can. And just picking up the Bible and reading it for half an hour. Praying the rosary with your family. These are things that you really should be doing anyway. That already carry a partial indulgence. But that under the, under the, the right conditions and with the right intention, carry a plenary indulgence. So that's one of those things. I mean, I, I'm sure there are people who are bummed out about, oh, I didn't know about the thing. I didn't know what was on. I didn't. I didn't participate, and now I'm not going to get my plenary indulgence. Well, say the rosary with your family tonight. Turn off the TV and pick up your Bible. And and you can remit that temporal punishment due for sin. Make a spiritual communion. Say the act of contrition and mean it. One of the things that I've always talked about, I mean, I think from the very beginning, and it was a, a priest friend of mine, talked about this many, many years ago when I first came into the church. If you look at the situation of the church and the world, and you look at yourself and what you can actually do about it, you're going to want to throw up your hands and say, what can I do? What can I do? I'm just one little guy. I'm just one layperson, one mom, one dad, one kid, even one priest, one, one religious. What can I do? And I, I maintain that that is the right question. It's just the wrong emphasis. You need to re-ask that question and take the emphasis off of I, which is actually kind of what Catholicism is all about, taking the emphasis off of I, and put the emphasis on can. And ask yourself, what can I do? I can pray the rosary with my family. I can read the Bible. I can call somebody who's lonely. I can reach out. I, I meant to visit my uh, my cousin who lives out in, in San Bernardino, who recently lost her husband. And we, we were going to go out, uh, the, the bunch of us, and we can't now. And I, uh, my wife told me, she was on Facebook, she says, you know, it's your cousin's birthday. So I called her. And you know what? It made her day. What can I do in the midst of this crisis? You know, that's the question that we need to be asking ourselves and next week um we're going to come back with the uh 
with our um, considerations, our meditations on the mysteries of the Holy Rosary. These are the dog days of Lent. We're entering into Passion Week, and then it's going to be Holy Week before you know it. And Easter, and Easter, unlike any other, has there ever been a penitential Easter? Yeah, maybe the first one. So, you know, I think that uh, we're going to be back to, uh, you know, we're, we're in kind of unprecedented times, and it's entirely possible that Catholics around the world will not be able to celebrate the Mass, not be able to assist at Mass on the, the biggest feast of the year, on Easter, when our Lord himself rose from the dead. And I hope that what I can do is appreciate what God has done for us more deeply, that I can appreciate and not take for granted the fact that the Mass is available. I live in Orange County. This has been a, a kind of a little Catholic bastion of Southern California for a long time. There's got to be, well, let's see, what's Columbus and uh, thing, and Joseph's. There's probably four or five Catholic churches, diocesan churches, that are within 10 or 15 minutes of my house. You know, I think that uh, that we've taken things for granted, and our Lord is is giving us a wake-up call. And so it's well for us to... to uh, Accept that as a gift and focus on what we can do. All right. Keep safe, keep healthy, and uh, until we meet again, may God richly bless you and your family. Matthew Arnold from Virgin Most Powerful Radio. See you next week.